You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. It's been quite an economic roller coaster of a week, and a lot of people are freaking out. I have a different opinion on what's going on and how it can affect real estate in our portfolio. I'm Kathy Fedke. Welcome to The Real Wealth Show. I know I've talked a lot about a single-family rental fund that we launched in, uh, in the fall of last year, and I know that there's a lot of people questioning whether this path is the right one and if real estate is going to crash and if the entire economy is going to, to crash and if there's going to be a United States of America in a few years, there's a lot of fear out there. Uh, so I have my partner on the single family rental fund here with me today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Do you have any regrets for starting a single family rental fund last fall? Only that we didn't go bigger and sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that with all the negative news out there today? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I could talk for hours about why, but it really boils down to two things. Resiliency of North Texas, which really kind of makes it stand out from a lot of the other areas, but also because when things like what we're seeing right now are happening, real estate is the safest investment you can have. In recessions, real estate typically does great. So um, it's really about understanding what different investment avenues there are and picking the right one at the right time. Well, the big recession that many people remember and are still scarred from, it, uh, real estate was affected, and, and that's probably what they remember. But many recessions before that, it, it wasn't the case. Real estate actually did pretty well. But the 2008 recession was kind of caused by bad loans in real estate. Mm -hmm. And of course, that market tanked because millions of people were able to buy properties that they really never could have afforded if they actually went through a real process of applying for that loan. Since then, of course, we know that people have had to uh, disclose every possible document they have. And even after that, they have to produce more documents um, and letters. And we all know what it takes to get a loan today. So completely different environment, very, very strict lending environment over the past 12 years, four, more, right? 15 years now, uh, ever since that. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that when people hear you say that real estate does well during recessions, that's what they're thinking about. And they're like, no, no, that's not true. Yep. No, you're totally right. And at the end of the day, every other recession has a lot of key indicators that are very similar, a lot like what we're seeing right now. And 08 was kind of the exception. And that's because 100% we caused it. We caused it. And in and, and ways we caused what's happening right now, too. But at the end of the day, it's about how do you hedge against inflation? And that answer is real estate. It's certainly not cash in a bank. <laughs> Well, you know, and that's the thing. I, I live in Malibu, a high-priced market where you have $50 million homes that just sit there vacant. And I thought, you know, why is that? But as I started to get to know people and I found out who owned those homes, where else are you going to put $50 million? Like, really, like, where does someone with that kind of money, and we're talking that's just some of their money, uh, maybe somebody who sold a company for a billion dollars and where do you put your money? You're going to put it in real estate, not in a bank. And I think it's important to pay attention to what the 1% do. Why wouldn't they put the $50 million in a bank? Because it's not backed by there's no insurance. A bank can fail. I saw somebody write a post saying, if you can't put your money in a bank, where can you put it? <laughs> real estate. Because banks can fail. We learned that in 2008. It's not as safe as you think. It's safe up to 250000 It's backed by the US government. And apparently, 
more now. Apparently, <laughs> they've gone beyond that. But uh, yeah, so that that's what I've noticed, and I see that in other high priced markets too. That a lot of times that's just where wealthy people feel safe putting their money, and we probably should should follow that too. Yeah. If you look at a chart of what the value of a dollar has done since 1970, and you look at the value of real estate, it's almost opposite. They go up and down at about the same rate. And so it's really quite staggering to look and see if you had a dollar in a bank account in 1970, what it's worth today, versus if you had real estate in 1970, what it's worth today. And overall, it's a pretty clear chart, right? It's pretty smooth sailing both ways. And you just don't see that in most other investment vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you want to get the right real estate, of course. Um, buying land in North Dakota uh, maybe won't have the same impact as in North Dallas. And I know that from personal experience, I'm embarrassed to say. Uh, so let's talk about the environment right now, because I think I think that the 90% of, of, of Americans or even 99% of Americans listen to headlines and react uh, in a way that would be different than the 1% react, meaning that you and I might look at a headline and say, oh, this is what it means for our industry versus whatever pundits are saying right now, um, which I don't even listen to anymore. Uh, but how are you interpreting the headlines today and how does it affect our single family rental fund? Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I teach about a lot, and so do you, is that there is no nationwide market. You hear so much on the news, the nationwide market, the nationwide market. Well, that doesn't exist. You have to look regional, hyperlocal. And in reality, our hyperlocal market is doing incredible. We're still up year over year. Um, the, the housing supply shortage is so astronomical. And that's not just a North Texas problem. That's a nationwide problem. We have been underbuilding by the millions for over 40 years. So this is nothing new. What's happening in North Texas, though, is it's compounded because for every five jobs we're bringing here, we're building one home. And so what little headway we were going to start to make really kind of went kaput when rates went up and builders couldn't have their build lines or they didn't want to build or they had stipulations put on how they could build. And so we're kind of at critical levels. And a lot of people are not talking about that right now because they're so hyper fixated on what's happening in banking and everything else. But we're already back to seeing multiple offers. We're already back to inventory dropping. We're actually down below a two-month inventory right now. We were at, I think, 2.2 end of November, and we're back to like 1.8. So Everything that's happening here is unique, and it's because of the layout of what we're seeing in North Texas. And unfortunately, fortunate for us as investors, but unfortunately for us as citizens, there's there's no fix right now. There, there's no fixing this problem. Yeah, that that's, well, what do you mean by that? Because when I see the construction that is happening in Dallas, it kind of exceeds anywhere else in the country. It looks just from a glance like you have the most new construction of anywhere in the country. So how do you, how are people? <laughs> So we, we gained about 280,000 jobs last year, year over year. So think about that for a minute, more than a quarter million jobs. Uh, so yeah, we're building a lot, but we're not building enough. And so we are building more than pretty much anywhere else in the United States, but we're also the fastest growing metro. metro. We also added the most jobs. We added the most people. So when you really look at all of those things, we should be building the most, but we're still one fifth of where we should be. Okay. 
Yeah, because it could be deceiving. It's like, whoa, look at all this new supply coming in. Um, you see a massive amount of supply still coming into Phoenix. I think Austin was on there, Boise, and maybe those areas aren't growing as quickly. Or, or what do you? What are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, Austin is a very different market than North Dallas. So when you look at North Texas, we had the highest gains. We also had the highest average price gains and we have the best inventory levels. Why is that? Well, I've been warning against Austin for a decade. It's not a resilient market and it was hyperinflated. So you look at our average price point for our market, fourth largest market in the United States, by the way. And if we were a country, we would be a massive economy in the top 20 economies. So North Texas is absolutely huge. We're going to overtake Chicago, be number three. So when I say our average price point home is still under 400,000, think about what that price point would be in Chicago or New York or LA, your other top three. We are still so undervalued and we're also a very diverse economy. If you look at a pie chart of employers here, it's completely spread out. We're not market dependent. Austin doesn't have any of those features. In fact, if we look at the last 12, 15 years since the last crash, they've had a much higher foreclosure and default rate than what DFW has and then what Houston has. And that's because of the fact they're cyclical and they're so based in certain industries and they got overpriced so fast. The other thing about Austin is their policies are very different. Their courts are much more liberal. They're not as landlord friendly. They're not as investment friendly. There's a reason why all eyes are on North Texas right now. And it's kind of because we're, we're the win all in every situation. And that's just not what you find in places like Houston, which are very employment driven in the oil and gas and energy sectors. And Austin, which is just a complete mosh. The values in Austin cannot be sustained by job growth, period. And no one has the jobs that we do here. Houston's done pretty well, but no comparison. And so at the end of the day, what I'm doing and what I've been looking for in my own investment journey is making sure I'm investing in places that make sense and that are extremely resilient. And supply and demand is the most resilient that you can have because the value of things is derived by how much of it there is. We saw that in COVID. Look at what we were paying for toilet paper. And so when I think about North Texas and what's happening right now relative to what the news is talking about on a nationwide scale, we're just kind of in our own world. So you're in charge of acquisitions within our fund and you're still finding unbelievable deals. How is that possible when there's bidding wars starting to happen again? Well, so you have to remember that most lending requires good condition. And so we're not targeting those properties and we're also not targeting inner cities. So we're targeting the properties that are really ugly, the properties that need work. And those who relied on hard money lending and other types of lending to do those deals, they're pretty much out right now because rates are just too high and the banks won't do that type of lending right now. So where we've always been cash buyers and these unique types of lending to do these deals, right now there's just not the competition that there was. And in addition to that, labor's gone up, the cost of materials has gone up, and so it's harder to make deals work. I've been doing the same model for over a decade, and we have these people who work for us and only with us. And so we're able to do things that other people just can't because of volume. And so not only is it a great climate right now to be a cash buyer, but also to have the contacts. And most of what we've bought is completely off market, sent directly to me. And so it's not like we're competing with other people either. All right. Tell me about some of the deals you're excited about, because every day, every time I talk to you, you're like, did you see what I just bought? <laughs> 
So actually the best three that we've bought, I just signed on um, and they're, they're incredible. So we got two bedroom houses, two bedroom houses that need just light renovation under 70,000 at 65,000. And uh, we got an amazing three bedroom, two bathroom under 85,000. So, I mean, we're talking just incredible value plays right now and they're just going great. So we picked up a property in Collin County and our all in is under 200,000 for almost 2000 square foot house. Just incredible deals right now. Very, very exciting. And um, what, uh, how is the rent on those? Yeah, so we're at over 1% rent on all these new ones that we acquired. So really the types of things that we haven't seen in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. When I first met you, that was kind of a common thing. In fact, I think over 1% is what we were looking for. Uh, what about, I know in Florida, we're seeing insurance rates go up dramatically and property taxes. What are you seeing in, in this Dallas, North Dallas area? So that kind of goes back to contacts again and knowing where to go. One of the things that I think has always set me apart in my business is having the right contacts and knowing about the right products. I am hearing that rates are going up significantly. However, uh, we use a bulk insurance product and it's a monthly reporting and I'll, I'll spare you all the boring details about how it works, but we are still insuring most of these single family homes at or below a hundred dollars a month. And that includes like something called service line coverage. So if we have water lines that leak or gas lines that leak, we have a $500 deductible on extra things too. It covers loss of rent. So a lot of extra things that regular policies don't cover. So that's a pretty inclusive policy for that price too. And generally we look for a three bed, two bath. Uh, who do you think would want a two bedroom? So as you know, I own about 40 million in real estate and of my rental portfolio, almost 75% are two bedroom, one bathrooms. And the reason being is that there are fewer people that can make the numbers work. They tend to be more competitive in pricing and the best returns. And so although I'll never turn my eye away from a three bedroom, two bathroom, it's all about the numbers. It's all about where the numbers work. And remember, we are targeting people who would otherwise be renting apartments. And so we are providing renovated single family homes at less than what most luxury apartments are. And so it's really quite amazing to see the caliber of people that we get and how long they stay because of having options to things that are directly comparable to an apartment. And so it really gives you a much wider tenant base. And when we're talking about affordable housing, which is something that probably 10 years from now is not going to exist in my market, it already pretty much doesn't, those two bedroom homes are really going to be the future. And because that's just like in California, right? Most people can't go get an affordable three, two in the middle of San Francisco. Francisco. So again, you have to look at the size of our market, where the market's going. And at the end of the day, the best return is your cheapest property. And so when we find these great spacious two bedroom, one bathrooms for, you know, 65,000 purchase price, I'm absolutely going to jump on that. Would it make sense to try to add a bedroom at, before we sell? No, again, it's about return on investment, right? So what it costs to go add on to a house is way more than what the increase in rent would be. You'd actually be amazed how minimal the difference is in rent between a two bedroom and a three bedroom. So it's all about the numbers. It's all about what the, what the return is. And so we look at each deal independently, but personally in my own portfolio, my best returns have been my two bedrooms. 
Interesting. Well, especially if it's a single person, you just need one as an office, maybe spare guest room and, and your bedroom. Yeah. And I've heard for medium term rentals or short term rentals, that's certainly all you need to, which we should look into. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things about my market that people aren't talking about, I actually, I, I was speaking at an event that we hosted a few weeks ago and I went to try to find an article talking about it. I couldn't is what's happening with Texas and the number of children. And so one of 10 children, and let me not bore you with the statistics, just know this. We have one in five people that are going to age into adulthood in the next short bit of time here. So the number of people that are going to need housing, they're saying that Collin County alone is going to gain a million and a half citizens. Dallas County is going to gain three quarter of a million citizens. We're going to need 900,000 somewhat properties. They're not even talking about the number of youth that are going to be turning of age to rent. Texas has more youth than anywhere else. It's astronomical and most of them are older. And so there's going to be a completely separate housing crisis that's going to come here in Texas and in North Texas because of the younger generation aging into. And then you pair that with the fact that we have the highest education base now of this younger generation. We've seen it with millennials in every generation since. They're earning more money. They're more educated. They're going to be home buyers sooner. It's going to compound this housing crisis that we're already facing. There are some comments I see, you know, on social media of, well, uh, why would you want to provide rental housing before a recession when people are going to lose their jobs and not be able to pay? What are your thoughts on that? Well, we still have more jobs here than we have people to fill them. So, you know, are people losing their jobs in a lot of other places? And I'm sure there's some here too, but most of your big layoffs you're hearing are in the same sectors that are affecting the banking industry, right? Uh, those layoffs aren't here in North Texas. They're happening mostly in California and New York. And that's in Austin. In Austin. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, again, it's tech sector, right? Yeah. And so I think it's important to remember that although people are being laid off, we have a massive worker shortage right now. Our unemployment rate is around 3%. So that's virtual negative unemployment. There are lots of people who are looking for jobs, but then on top of that, there's way more jobs than people looking. And so this, this thought of being unemployed for a long period of time here just really doesn't exist. If somebody wants to find a job, they're going to. And so again, it goes back to hyper-local markets. What's happening here may not be what's working in another state, but keep in mind of the new jobs coming here, 49.27% of them pay more than $150,000 a year which is astronomical for North Texas. And only 17% pay less than $75,000 a year. So a lot of people are already looking for other higher paying jobs anyway. So again, what's happening in other areas is not really what's happening here. Yeah. And that's just so important to understand. I will be doing a economic report soon. I, I do my quarterly reports and, and it just, uh, it's just Dallas just bucks the trends every time. It's just the opposite of what's going on in most other markets, which is exciting. Um, All right. Let's say somebody, one of our tenants does lose their job, then what? So our eviction process here is really, really simple. Uh, We can give a 24-hour notice. We can file eviction. Court hears it within 10 to 21 days. However, it's very, very rare that we actually get to eviction court if a tenant can't pay. Generally, they reach out. They're telling us, and we can work with them, get another tenant in place. Their deposit gets forfeited. They move. I will also say we don't have a lot of single tenancies. 
And that's just because nature of North Texas. I don't know why that is. It just is what it is. Most of our properties, you have two paying adults. And so if one does lose their job, typically they can still afford rent. Uh, default rates in these areas and this price point is not too high. The apartment sector is who's going to struggle, right? Because they really cater themselves to people that are living independently and by themselves. And so I think that's going to be where we're going to see more default rates, specifically down in the city where pay rates are not as high. Remember, we're targeting these areas where the chips are coming in and these high paying tech jobs and all of these manufacturing jobs that are very high paying salaries. And so these people tend to have more savings. They have more income. They have better credit. And that's just because of the types of jobs that they have. And many of them are cash heavy. They were former homeowners. They're coming from states where they owned their home in cash. You have to understand someone who's moving here from California that's owned their home. They sold their home. They likely pocketed a lot of money. They come to North Texas where we have dozens and dozens of suburbs. They have no idea where they want to live. Their first choice is going to be to go rent, learn the area, understand, and then go home shop. It's extremely overwhelming to come here. We have the second largest number of highway miles per capita in the United States. We are interconnected in our suburbs through highway systems where people don't live in the inner cities and work somewhere else, right? And so it's a lot of turf to try to figure out where you want to be. So we see a lot of these people actually not coming here and buying, but coming here and renting and then going to buy in a year or two. And so a lot of what we're catering to is that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so let's talk about apartments because a year ago when we were planning this fund, I, I was like, Leah, why aren't, why aren't we just buying apartments? It's such a hot market. And you were adamantly against that. Why? A lot of reasons. Uh, number one, I don't like apartments. I think that they're a lot more difficult to manage as a property manager, which, you know, that's been my, my bread and butter, my backbone. I also don't love the lack of resiliency. More importantly, I think the way that valuations are done in multifamily and the lack of resiliency and the price points of what things have gotten to brought me a lot of pause. I was talking to you about how a lot of people were out there saying, well, don't worry about the return. Don't worry about the cap rate because they appreciate or the value of multifamilies derived from the income. And they were out there toting these bridge loans. And for those of you who don't know what that is, just think of it as an adjustable mortgage or a balloon mortgage for an apartment building. And really the model for apartments has to be equity capture. You buy in, you go fix it up, you cash out on the back end and take a bunch of cash out and hope that you have cash flow on the back end. But because of that model, they went into these shorter term loans that had a rate that would skyrocket or call due in full. And so what I saw coming was, A, I knew we were printing a ton of money. And so when we print a ton of money and we increase the money supply, inflation happens. And unfortunately, our government can't just ignore inflation. It does have to deal with it. And so the way you deal with inflation and to reduce the money supply is to raise rates. And that's just a very basic background of why we are where we are. So when we're looking at apartments and we're looking at buying at moderate to low rates and returns. And then we have to go refinance when we're going to be in a market where rates are higher. And it's just a very dangerous situation. And so unfortunately, that's what a lot of multifamily people are in right now. You also pair it with the rising cost of supplies and labor and COVID where people wanted space. They didn't want dense housing. So there are so many reasons I don't love apartments. And it's not that I'm not experienced in them. I manage them. I own them. I personally own five apartments. So I, I understand the model. I just don't believe in it. And I really never have. Yeah, it just, you you hear from so many people. It's like you have one loan, it's all under one roof. It seems like it would be easier to manage. I'm with you though. There's too many factors that can go wrong. And I know that 
properties are bleeding cash right now because their rate caps have gone up 10x or 100x um, because of this interest rate change. So good on you for recognizing what a big shift that would be once, if people didn't get into longer term rates and fix them, it's obvious that rates were going to go up. They weren't going to stay at pandemic level levels forever. It was going to be there for pandemic purposes <laughs> to mm-hmm. stimulate the economy during a downturn. And then it would bounce back to normal mm-hmm. and people would have to, unless they anticipated that or underwrote it that way, uh, which was hard to do. If you were to underwrite a deal showing today's rates that you would never have bought it, it wouldn't have made sense. Right. Well, and you have to remember a lot of these people, they get paid up front, right? So most of their money is made on the purchase and the acquisition. And so sometimes, and this is not all, but sometimes they're not looking so much at the long game. The other thing that greatly concerned me was the way they were underwriting their numbers for appreciation and price growth. Uh, Some of these people that I know and I'm in the industry with were quoting doubling value in a five-year period. And so you and I talked about that and how dangerous those types of numbers are and expecting that because we all made great money the last three years before things turned, that that would continue and to underwrite numbers that way. Uh, Anytime there's a crisis and things are cheap to get, whether it's housing, rates, whatever it may be, You can really do incredibly well in a real estate market that's appreciating with a supply issue like we have in North Texas. But these people underwrote their numbers to continue that way for five more years, in some cases accelerated. And so that really, at the end of the day, is what brought me so much pause. Uh, if, If you didn't make money in real estate the last few years, it probably was your model that was the problem. Now is when we start to define who are the ones who truly have a resilient model and who doesn't. And that is what I didn't see being underwritten, not just in multifamily, but in hotels and commercial, all industries. At the end of the day, people always have to have a place to live, period. And so that's always going to be safer in my mind than commercial. But if you buy something that has almost no return at normal interest rates, I just don't know how you ever make that work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So that's why we underwrote this fund Uber, Uber conservatively. I mean, to the point where it's, you know, people are like, really, your target's an 8% return? And do we think it's going to be higher? Of course we do. But are we going to state that? No. Uh, we're, we're, we're underwriting it as if rents wouldn't go up very much, as if appreciation wouldn't be there. We think all of that will be there based on what's happening in, in North Texas. But why gamble? You know, so it is it is very conservative. And when I was on stage at, at the Best Ever Conference and kind of talked about our model and how we're just buying in cash, we don't have to worry about loans. We can get loans if we want them, but we can also not get them if we don't want them. And, it, and we're still uh, looking at that 8% return. It puts us in a really solid position. But with rates going down right Right now, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll want to finance. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy to see how much they've changed. We're down like 1% already. And so I love that we underwrote it as a cash purchase, but you and I both know if we finance it, it increases the returns. And so uh, again, it goes back to being conservative with your underwriting. And that is where so many people go wrong. And so I'm really proud of both of us and excited to see where we end up. Yeah, me too. All right, Leah, well, always a pleasure talking to you. I always learn so much. I'm excited for our event in April. If you want to find out more about our fund, you can go to growdevelopments.com. You'll have to log in, but I think you can get the basics there before you join um, or before you sign up. Again, that's growdevelopments.com. There's also an event coming up. Once you sign up, we'll make sure you have details on that. All right. I'm Kathy Fetke. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Everybody just take a deep breath and know that most banks 
most most depositors in most banks are under $250,000. This was a unique situation. I really don't think that the the banking system is going to completely collapse. Uh, you know, there most depositors aren't big tech firms with millions of dollars in the bank. They're usually normal people. 70% of it is normal people with deposits well on, under 250. So just stay calm. Know that this is a wonderful thing for real estate because rates are down and that's good for us. All right. Thank you again, Leah. We'll see you soon. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.